Bill de Blasio lost the race for president. Can he win the last 27 months of his time as mayor? I'm Jared Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jared, good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's too hot. It I is. This I'm is a shock to the system. To I, I enjoy the crisp fall weather. <laughs> And I do not care for a return to the summer heat and humidity. But because it is summertime, you are wearing a dashing-looking WBAI T-shirt. Yes, which is climatologically appropriate today. And I should I'm remind, a walking billboard. <laughs> you are, uh, and and we all are. We're very proud to be part of WBAI and everything this station represents. Uh, this is a fiercely independent source of news and commentary. We're very proud to come here every week and have a chance to talk in depth about a lot of the issues facing our city and our state. And this only exists because of people like you who are listening and folks who work here very hard to provide content to you. And so this is the time of of year where uh, we all step up to try to support this kind of media and the the discourse that it represents. So please do not hesitate. During this long hour, we'll be talking together. There'll be plenty of breaks. Whenever Ben's talking, it's a good time to jump on the phone. I Tune find. out. Uh, 516-620-3602 is the number to call. That's 516-620-3602. If you want to do the internet's thing, it's give2wbai.org. That's the number two, give2wbai.org. Or text WBAI on a smartphone to 41444. Exciting show on deck for today. Uh, in just moments, we're going to be joined by... New York One political anchor Errol Lewis, who will come back to the show for the second time joining us to discuss what's ahead for Mayor Bill de Blasio now that he is out of the presidential race. He got that out of his system, a short-lived campaign, didn't go anywhere, and he's back to mayoring at least closer to full-time than he was while running, yet to be seen how full-time he does his job as mayor, given that he, of course, wants to still have a voice on the national stage. So we'll be very excited to talk to Errol momentarily as we devote today's show fully to talking about the challenges ahead for Mayor de Blasio in his final two years and three months as mayor, assuming he finishes his term. That's correct. And then we'll be joined later in the show by David Jones, who is the CEO and president of the Community Service Society of New York, one of the primary and most longstanding uh, policy and low-income advocacy groups in the city, to talk about uh, the agenda that he thinks the mayor has, what he thinks the mayor should have, and what the prospects for it are. And Sally Goldenberg, who is the City Hall Bureau Chief for Political called New York, uh, a reporter who has covered every moment of the de Blasio yeah. mayoralty with, uh, with real skill and, and, uh, and accuracy, and she'll be speaking about some of that and some of the sort of political and landscape realities the mayor faces as he comes back from, from presidential race, which, you know, obviously for any mayor, when you face term limits, there is uh, a sell-by date, there is a limited opportunity to use even the massive powers of that office, um, and de Blasio's running for president probably did not... Um, augment his ability to to navigate that but we'll be talking about that in in some depth yeah i'm excited to talk to david jones because not only does he head the css as you mentioned but he's also an mta board member appointed there by mayor de blasio and david is fiercely independent which has been very interesting to watch on the mta board because he you know talks about what he thinks is needed and he is um you know an outspoken advocate for the people who are marginalized, low-income people, you know, people that he feels like, uh, you know, he needs to be a voice for and has been a voice for. So it'd be very interesting to get his perspective. We'll maybe touch on the MTA, but mostly on the issues you you mentioned related to, of course, de Blasio's big goal, big frame for becoming mayor 
inequality, lifting people up, shrimp, shrinking the gaps between the haves and the have-nots, and very interesting to get David's perspective on that. And then, of course, as you mentioned, Sally will also join us for that conversation, Sally Goldenberg of Politico, who just has great perspective and insights in terms of both the policy and political challenges that de Blasio faces, where he seems to be putting his priorities um, and, and some of the political landscape to really watch here as we get into this final two years and three months, which, you know, I would say is really maybe half of that, you know, you really, if he's going to do a lot, he's going to have to put things in motion in the next year, let's say. Um, And so that's really, this is the time period to watch. And he does seem to be ramping things up a little bit. Right. Obviously the interplay over the course of the remainder of his mayoralty of two incredibly important and probably ferociously interesting election seasons of 2020, the presidential race, the congressional and state legislative races here, and then 2021, which would be a wide open citywide election, everything from city council person to mayor. Uh, Those are a potential challenge for the mayor because obviously people will start to tune out and kind of shift gears to those, but they also might create some opportunities for him to exert some leverage uh, in those races because it's going to be a very frenetic uh, calendar and a lot of people kind of clawing for uh, for advantage. And, uh, you know, Bill de Blasio, you know, is a is a skilled politician and he's not, not mayor by accident. And so uh, it'd be interesting to see how he how he kind of plays those forces and those timelines against one another. So we're going to be joined momentarily by Errol Lewis of New York One, who obviously interviews the mayor every Monday night on Inside City Hall. So we'll get a little bit of Errol's insights in terms of what he's sort of seen and felt from the mayor talking to him just about every Monday night on the show. But before we get to Errol, I mean, what's, what are the sort of top of mind issues for you here as the mayor comes back to, again, being more of a full-time mayor than a part-time mayor? Um, what are the top issues for you that you're watching here, maybe in the near term or over the next couple of years? Well, I guess kind of in the background is the question of you know, what impact has the presidential run had? Um, you know, obviously we wondered at the outset about its impact on his day-to-day management of the city, his ability to operate it. I'd be curious on all our guests' feelings about that. But more importantly, what impact has it had on his ability to to use his, the power of his office to achieve whatever the goals are, X, Y, Z, over the next few months? Has it, you know, really, really eroded it? Has it erased it? Um, I'm imagining it did not uh, increase it at all, but I'm curious about that. Like, how does Bert de Blasio stand now relative to, if we imagine, where he would have been had he not run for president? Um, And then, you know, obviously the question is, I think you foreshadowed, are we talking about really continuing many very important policy issues that he has at least talked about and proposed some initiatives on, whether it's Vision Zero, um, obviously policing reforms, many of the areas he's been active. Is it just about carrying those out? That's legitimate. Or are there other big ticket items, some big captivating thing that he's going to try to use to capture attention before the limelight fades and, and with it his ability to affect change? Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I mean, you could literally, you know, go down the list of issues and topics and and we could talk about a specific challenge in front of him as it relates to any of them, whether it's policing or preparing the city for the next big storm or rolling out, you know, his further early education policies or turning around the city's lowest performing schools. NYCHA, homelessness, his affordable housing plan. I mean, you name it, there are things for him to try to tackle, improve, tweak turn around completely. Um, So, you know, one of the biggest things for me is where is he really putting his effort and the attention and focus of city government? 
one of the biggest examples, you know, that's been popping up again in recent days is, you know, the mayor has staked a lot on this ferry system that he rolled out. And while, you know, I think it's hard to argue against it as a general principle of something that the city could maybe should have, the question around focus, investment, his time, his administration's time, the high rider subsidy, these are things very much worth questioning in a vacuum, but also most especially in comparison to his lack of attention on the city's buses, which in, I believe, three days, any three weekdays, the buses in the city carry more people than the ferries do in a year. Right. It's a a bang for buck question. So, you know, the fact that he was so slow to address bus issues, that they're still crawling around the city and bus ridership is cratering. You know, these are the types of things I'm watching. Is it is it good to have a ferry system? Sure, probably. There are people in far-flung places where it absolutely helps them get around the city better and in faster time. But questions about priorities and where you're focused are huge for a mayor or any leader, and that's what, you know, I'm really watching. And that story, too, has bra- – and not to, to delve back into process issues, but it's brought back a common theme of his mayoralty, which is the question of – his dealings with the press and his ability to be transparent. You know, people have raised questions about the East River Ferry. There are uh, allegations that he's not been forthcoming with with data and information that has dogged him through his mayoralty. And, you know, that relationship with the press, and it'd be interesting to ask Sally Goldenberg about this, is obviously, you know, we know that he and the governor are never going to be best pals. That has been a problem for many mayors, a particular problem for him. We know the city council is going to be hard to handle because of 2021. The relationship with the press is the one that day to day he might have some ability to improve slightly and that might allow him to you know bolster at least the bully pulpit powers he enjoys as mayor um but yeah. so far it doesn't seem like that has been that that's been that's been the puzzle he's been unable to solve no indication he'll be able to solve that any better in the coming months i would say it slightly differently from my perspective which is that he and maybe this is the same thing but i think he has more of an opportunity to shape the press coverage of himself and his administration in a positive way than he has done thus far. And I think a big piece of that is something I pointed out yet again today is that he keeps missing these opportunities for sort of good press coverage and and the opportunity to get out in front of something that he, at least in theory, says that he's happy about or something he's proposed or that's moving ahead. You know, when the city planning commission moved ahead, his jails plan, he put out a statement. He could have held a media availability. He could be going around to some of the sites where these jails might be built and and using the bully pulpit that way. He could be having more availabilities near or on Rikers Island to sort of push this idea forward that we're getting out of this hellhole. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, all these things. Right. Well, because when you're in this defensive posture all the time, you know, that that, that problem right. is going to come up again but it, and again. It's, it, yeah. And it's also just a lens, though, of not promoting the at least to him good work and maybe to many others that his his administration is doing. We saw that today with the relaunch of the 14th Street busway after some litigation. You know, the DOT had a a press conference and the mayor was not there. So we are happy to be joined on the line now by Errol Lewis, the New York One political anchor who hosts Inside City Hall every night on New York One and interviews the mayor weekly. Errol, thanks for joining us here on WBAI. Good to be with you guys. So why don't we start just sort of big picture? You know, you talk to the mayor just about every Monday night. Um, generally speaking, sort of how do you feel like he is approaching the end of this campaign and returning to City Hall? Do you have a good a sense of, of how he's approaching that? 
Well, I'd say, first of all, he was um, absolutely ebullient when he was out on the campaign trail. He was coming on Mondays with a spring in his step after having spent a, having spent the weekend shaking hands in, you know, South Carolina or uh, in Iowa. Um, when he called a halt to the campaign, though, he did it somewhat abruptly and seems to have shifted into a very different mode where, you know, you could detect at times in the past, certainly when he was on the campaign trail for president, a certain kind of uh, almost exasperation when I was going to the weeds about some local problem. Uh, but ever since he called the whole to the campaign, he, he kind of dives into those questions with gusto. I, I happened to do the last interview. It was a live link from uh, Gracie Mansion. And, you know, there he was. And, it, you know, it is his house. But there he is, and, you know, sort of super high and uh, with what looked like, you know, uh, kind of our local version of the White House. It was the venue, and he was conversant and engaged and ready to get in the weeds on local matters. Errol, it's hard to prove or to talk about a counterfactual, right? The mayor ran for president. We can't we can't roll back the clock. We don't know exactly what things would have been like if he hadn't. But what do you think was the impact in the end of his running on day-to-day management of the city and, more importantly, on his larger policy agenda? Did it set him back? If so, in what way and by how much? Or, or did, it, did it not have much impact? You know, some, some of it we'll know eventually, and some of it I think we won't know, but we'll suspect what happened. Um, the part that we will know is I, I've talked with enough of the his commissioners and some of the deputy mayors, and, you know, they, they, would, they would tell you kind of, you know, they, I, I would advance the theory that, hey, you know, when the boss is away, you can get a lot more done. I mean, it's true at my job. It's probably true at your job, you know. Uh, you know without without um, feeling like you have to answer somebody, you can kind of restructure your work in subtle but important ways and advance things according to your own um, uh, priorities and maybe, you know, change the tempo of work a little bit. I think that happens in every workplace. I don't think City Hall is an exception. And I got the impression, you know, because I would throw that out to people and they would just kind of smile a little bit. And some of them sort of suggested, yeah, that was the case. It's, you know, kind of easier to get certain things done if you know that uh, you're not going to get a call uh, from the mayor to, to rearrange things. Um, so, so that's the part that you know, and in some ways it wasn't all that important. I mean, the, the, the general policies haven't changed during the 127 days that he was out campaigning. Uh, now, as far as the longer term, look, there are certain things that he has attempted, things that he has announced that are not going to come to pass, like his desegregation plan, or specifically uh, his attempt to get rid of the SHSAT, the Specialized High School Admissions Test. Um, you know, and you can't help but wonder, well, gee, if he'd been here during those months, if he'd held meetings, made phone calls, twisted arms, uh, done some public appearances like you were just talking about, perhaps that conversation and the outcome of that policy might have gone a little bit differently. And I, I think there, you know, you could probably name half a dozen policy areas where people will be saying that. You know, I mean, if something goes wrong, for example, with the Rikers closure uh, in the next couple of weeks, you know, it, it would be logical to ask, well, gee, if things went off the rails, why didn't the mayor make sure they didn't go off the rails? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there'll be that uncertainty, I think, that hang, hangs over uh, a lot of different issues. Do you have a sense, um, you know, I, I know with you and, and elsewhere, he's sort of listed three or four top priorities. Um, 
Do you have a sense of how good that list is? Are there things that you haven't really heard him talk about that you, you know, believe needs a good bit of his attention? I mean, for me, you know, one of the things I keep coming back to is this NYCHA 2.0 turnaround plan where they released a plan at the end of last year. And then they, of course, had to go through these negotiations around a federal monitor. They had to get a new chair and CEO in place. But I, you know, I haven't seen a lot from the mayor since in terms of how they're advancing that that plan forward. Are there other things for you that stick out? Oh, yeah. Look, there are a number of issues. And I, I'm not talking out of school here. I, I actually raised this with the mayor on Monday. I get the feeling that on certain issues that were always going to be a bit of a stretch, that were going to be difficult to implement, uh, like changing the law and the rules around and the implementation of the SHSAT, uh, people are going to slow walk him, that people are going to you know, kind of play a block and hold defense and just, just sort of, you know, wait for the, the term to run out. Um, that, that, that to me is the, the I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong about that. But on things like, you know, the, the, the long-delayed effort to get uh, a, a handful of yeshivas to actually comply with state law and teach things like, you know, I don't know, English and math, <laughs> Uh, that you know that they steadfastly and more or less publicly refused to do. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it shouldn't have taken six years to get to this point anyway. We're going into we we just passed the four year anniversary of these complaints being brought um, uh, and, and given to the public, and we were first told by then Chancellor Carmen Farina that it would take a few months to look into it, and now we're heading for year five. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I think I, I think that's you know, going to be one of those dead letters that left on the mayor's desk as he leaves city hall for the last time. Uh, I think the, the, the desegregation efforts, both the, the specialized high school admissions test as well as the gifted and talented programs, those are tough fights. It was always going to be hard to do that. Um, I think, you know, they've, you know, the last four months were the crucial amount of time in which those battles could have been won or lost, but it doesn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if those end up being, uh, again, left, left for the next mayor to, to have to deal with. And then, of course, the MTA, which is at least as thorny as NYCHA, has just as many cooks in the kitchen, uh, of which the mayor happens not to be the, the, the chief cook. Um, and, you know, it would take a lot of diplomacy and a lot of maneuvering and a lot of attention. And I, I don't know that the mayor is up for that particular fight. Yeah, I kept asking City Hall over the last few months, hey, where's the mayor on the MTA capital plan that's about to come out? And mostly they just said, well, we want to wait to see what they come up with. <laughs> so, oh yeah. I know, wait. Oh Errol, obviously looming in the future, very near future, is the, the 2020 race heating up, obviously, nationally and then also here. And, and then 2021 coming closely on its heels. And and obviously the conventional wisdom would be that the, the, the rise of those storylines would be a problem for de Blasio to get anything done in what time he has left, but I wonder if those elections give him an opportunity to, uh, you know, play some parties off one another to, to get some things done when people aren't looking. Uh, how how do you think he should play those two looming very important election seasons? Well, I mean, look on, on the first on the national level, the mayor of New York City is almost well, uh, literally by definition, almost uh, um, the, the titular spokesman for city. In the, in the national debate, in the national dialogue. Um, cities always get short trips, are 
almost always ignored, including by the Democrats who rely on that. Uh, and I haven't heard any discussion. I haven't heard any intelligence discussion. I don't see anything happening. You know, I mean, if you go candidate by candidate of the top, you know, I don't know, half dozen uh, candidates for president, you're not seeing a section, a well-thought-through section, you know, the urban affairs section of their website. You don't hear it in their stump speech. It doesn't come up in the debate. Uh, it's not It's not, not a good thing. Um, I saw the mayor, uh, and I moderated a panel uh, right before the uh, 2016 election in which the, um, the National Conference of Mayors was trying to get urban issues on the agenda without success in that particular case. I think we're, we're in for that again, but the mayor's got to try again. We've got to, we've got to do this. I mean, it, you know, other cities can maybe look the other way. If you're the mayor of South Bend, well, urban issues, yeah, it would be nice if some things got done. But for New York City, it's absolutely critical. Uh, and, you know, the, the strange thing in this is that we've got so many, we've got one sitting there and two ex-mayors of big cities in the form of Julian Castro and Cory Booker, and they almost never talk about urban issues. Very frustrating. Anyway, I expect the mayor to try and do that. And then as to his successor, this mayor, you know, as, as much of a political animal as he is, and he very much is, he's never really tried to create, you know, room for other for lack of a better term, de Blasio Democrat. I don't know that he's all that concerned um, about whether or not his particular vision survives in the form of a successor who keeps his policies in place. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't get that vibe. I don't, I, I don't, you know, you don't hear him saying it. You don't see him leaning toward any candidate. You don't hear him talking about the 2021 race. Um, I, I'm, I'm not so sure it's, it's on his agenda right now. If you uh, and we'll get you out of here on this, uh, Errol Lewis. Thanks, thanks for taking a few minutes with us here on WBAI. Um, when you think about sort of how he really, you know, of course he's had a little bit of a reentry here, but how he approaches, I guess, really the end of this year, you know, to really sort of re-establish um, himself as a very regular presence in the city after doing a lot of travel over four months. Um, are, are there ways that you you get a sense that, you know, you think New Yorkers want him to do that? Is it, uh, you know, sort of nose to the ground mayoring? Is it big picture vision? You know, do you have a sense of how he should approach that? Uh, my sense is, you know, just from a few interviews that I've done, I, I get the feeling that the activists who always supported his broad agenda toward curing income inequality. They want to see him succeed. They think he can succeed if he's got the time and the focus, and they're hoping that now he will have both and that those things can move forward. Um, I, I, I hope they're right. I'm not so sure that they're right about that. But, um, you know, that they, they, are, they are very much, I think, going to be pressing him to make good on some unfinished business. I think the fiscal monitors, especially if the national economy falters, um, I think there's going to be a lot of noise about some of the increase in the headcount, the increase in the city budget, the, uh, the, the looming mess that nobody ever wants to talk about, which is health and hospitals, which is just, you know, bleeding red ink. It's gushing, <laughs> gushing out of their front door as we speak. Um, somebody's got to do something about that. Those bills have got to get paid. I think that's going to start to come up. So, you know, I mean, look, it'll be a reminder of perhaps why the, the mayor wanted to get out of the campaign trail. There's, there's a lot of tough work here around the Bureau, around the 14th Street busway, 
around the MTA, which is going to, you know, always be a problem as long as anybody, you know, uh, can't figure out where to find the 20 or $30 billion that they need. Ditto for NYSA. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the all, all the old favorites, all the old hits mm-hmm. are going to be He's going to be asked to uh, to, to perform all the over right. while he's still on stage. There are no, there is no shortage of big tasks in front of the mayor for these uh, final two years and three months. Errol Lewis, we'll be watching you on Inside City Hall in New York One. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. All right, thanks, guys. And we'll be right back. And we're back on Max and Murphy here on WBAI 99.5 FM, a listener-sponsored non-commercial radio coming to you from Brooklyn. Jarrett Murphy here with Ben Max. And the topic of the day is Bill de Blasio, former presidential candidate, now back to full-time work as mayor, and what that means for him and for the city and for key policy issues over the remainder of his time in Gracie Mansion and City Hall. We just finished speaking with Errol Lewis of New York One uh, about his take on that and, and what the impact of the campaign was and was not. Not. And now we'll be joined by two folks with, uh, with different perspectives, but a lot of expertise. They are David Jones, who is the CEO and president of the Community Service Society of New York, a nonprofit that provides, or sorry, promotes economic advancement and civic participation for low-income New Yorkers. I also should mention it's a funder of City Limits. He also s- sits on the MTA board as an appointee of Mayor de Blasio. And Sally Goldenberg, who is a longtime city politics reporter and currently the City Hall Bureau Chief for Politico New York. Welcome, both of you, to Max and Murphy. Hi. So, Sally, why don't you start and set, set the stage a little bit from your perspective for us um, as the mayor returns here. You know, he's had a little bit of an entry, as I was just saying, with Errol Lewis, who was um, with us a minute ago. You know, he's had a little bit of a reentry since the presidential campaign, but he's still sort of getting back into being in the city much more than not being in the city. Um, how do you sort of capture where he's at right now and, and the challenges in front of him? Well, I think he's got about, what is it, roughly two years left. Um, You know, he'll be in office, uh, assuming nothing happens, until December 31st of 2021. And so he's got the remaining two years and three months to fill out his legacy um, and his kind of core priorities and also show that he can, you know, basically like a man, I think what came up during the presidential and what will come up more and more as people are running to replace him is sort of nuts and bolts governance, management of the city, a desire, sort of combined with like a desire to be here, a love of New York. And that's, you know, those two things, which are different, but I believe kind of related, are what I think he, I assume, will and, you know, Uh, I would assume advisors are telling him to focus on because you're already seeing people who are running to replace him really talking a lot about like New York pride and also very um, quality of life issues, you know, garbage, subways, which isn't in his control, but, you know, it's still a major part of city life, Um, uh, homelessness and things that he hasn't really gotten a great handle on. At the same time, I think he's also going to be trying to you know, complete or bring his legacy to some fruition. So he'll I, he'll be expanding uh, pre-kindergarten to three-year-olds. He'll probably be doing more affordable housing. Um, he'll probably do something on school segregation, although we're not sure yet what that is. So I think, the, you know, those are kind of the two pillars for him in the remaining two years mm-hmm. and however many months. 
David, CSS has helped to put a lot of issues on the policy radar screen in the city and to shape others, whether it's um, fair fares or affordable housing or some policing issues, uh, paid time off for, for workers. What do you see as right now kind of the big policy issues that are on the stove for Mayor de Blasio, leaving aside whether something else needs to be put on yeah. on, on flame? What, what do you see as, as on the top of his to-do list? Well, interesting. I- what I think he should focus on, and I think would cement a legacy of sort, is, is really be laser-like in the work on NYCHA and really, you know, turn the whole discussion around from what it's been that he hasn't been focused particularly on it. Um, he has to come up with a conception, first of all, to convince NYCHA residents that he's serious about this. But, you know, whether it's uh, doing what, you know, other mayors have done, actually visiting every one of the facilities and talking to the t- tenants and coming up with solutions that it'll take time to rebuild trust. But I think if anything deals with income inequality and, and the danger to people who are at the margins, I'd focus first on NYCHA. That's personal. I don't know if he's going to do that. Uh, clearly, we've invested a lot of time in getting the half-price fares. We had a struggle with him. It is necessarily support me and us and Riders Alliance on this originally. Uh, you know, I think it did come about, obviously, because of the city council led by Corey Johnson did it. But at the moment, um, only about 73,000 people uh, have uh, received the half-price fare out of uh, potentially 750,000. Um, clearly, he didn't talk about it on the campaign trail. I was very surprised. Uh, we're the largest experiment of this sort anywhere in the country and potentially anywhere in the world. And yet it, you know, because of the struggle, I guess, he didn't want to talk about it. But it's a big deal uh, for people at the bottom end of the economic uh, scale. So those are the two things, you know, I I would prioritize. Um, he was also hit pretty hard on uh, broken windows policing and the Gardner case. And we're still struggling with him uh, on the issue of the NYPD not being very forthcoming on fare evasion arrests and and stops, which are under his control. Uh, So we just had a recent uh, victory where a court demanded we had gotten legislation out of the city council, out of Councilman Lackman, requiring the NYPD to reveal statistics of which stations they're arresting people at, stopping people at, and uh, their resistance to it, they claimed, was it was going to help international terrorists target undefended stations. I've never heard such a ridiculous thing in my life. But Mm. all these things go to the question that that it's felt in many communities that he's not being spreading things evenly around. And uh, so I think there would be three things that come to mind immediately. Sally, you've done a lot of reporting on NYCHA. Jump in on that topic. Um, What... what is you know what is sort of on his agenda that at least in theory he has you know said he wants to get done and and you know would seem to need to move fairly quickly to get it done yeah i mean like he he rolled out a plan i think david's right that that is a um that's a big problem that has not gotten much better during his mayoralty it is central to like everything you know, he cares about and everything he talks about. It's also really hard because it's 
uh, underfunded by the federal government and has been for many years, as he often points out. There's a lot of management issues. All that to say, last year, I think in December or November, he did roll out a plan to monetize NYCHA's assets, which is basically land, right? You know, they, these developments sit on a lot of land. A lot of it is under or unused. They also have what's called air rights, which is basically like you're not as big as, the building's not as big as it could be. You can transfer or sell the right to be bigger to another property. And all of those things could raise money in addition to applying to the federal government to, uh, for uh, a public-private partnership where private management would take over public housing, not own it, but manage it, get revenue, and you know speed up repairs. So he put out this plan that includes all of those things that would put a pretty big dent into NYCHA's um, deficit. I think a, it would raise or cover $24 billion worth of repairs over a decade, which isn't enough, but it gets you know it's it's a big chunk of the need. But already you know. Things move very slowly in government. Things moved very slowly this year while the mayor was on the campaign trail, and you know, not much happened in terms of these developments. Um, he has a plan to do all of what I just said at a property in Chelsea, Manhattan, which is obviously very high value, and it's run into predictable political opposition. And I think it is. I think that will be a test case for how he deals with the entire portfolio of public housing. You know, it's um, it's controversial because you're, you know, there's concerns of privatization. There are, frankly, people who don't live in NYCHA who are across the street who don't like it, who are protesting it, you know, and it doesn't really affect them, but they're nearby. Um, there's a lot of residents who don't trust NYCHA. They've never been treated well. They've never been given good resources. So they can go through with this plan with or without political approval, but I think they're sort of slowing it down in the hopes of getting the local, you know, the city council speaker, Corey Johnson. Right. That's district. one where the, the political players are uh, quite, quite strong and significant. And David, yeah, is that... The west is side that, of Manhattan is right. very politically active. And so, David, when you talk about having the mayor focus on NYCHA, is that what it's about? Is it about putting the political capital, right. the weight of the mayor's office behind selling the plan to residents? Or is it about more resources? What do you think, what do you I, think I you think should do specifically? You know, as he spent time, you know, on the campaign trail, I'd like to see the same kind of intensity now uh, focused on some key issues. It, uh, you know, NYCHA would be first in mind for me, and I think uh, he can be quite persuasive if he, he focuses on it. And also he makes sure that he keeps a team together. I mean, one of the problems you see in, in lame duck uh, administrations is he starts to hemorrhage the best talent. It's very difficult to keep people. So he's going to have to make it clear to his existing uh, leadership that he's going to make this, uh, you know, a laser-like focus. He's going to be knowing more about what's going on in each NYCHA building than anyone else. You know, what you know, some of the prior mayors used to do, uh, Ed Koch, and we're at certain of this. But, I, you know, he has to focus. I, I think that that's almost more important than anything else now. He seems to not be focused on this particular issue. I mean, there's been criticism of his selection, but now he's going to have to spend time. Obviously, he used to be a, a senior official at HUD. He knows this stuff. It's not like he's coming to this with, with no, you know, sort of intellectual uh, understanding of some of the problems here. Uh, he's going to have to be up front in discussion with the unions because there are all sorts of work rule changes that will have to take place. 
again, I, I see the intensity of, of his work will be, has, has to be really tight and narrow and, and, and focused on something like this. So, so Sally, David gets at something interesting there that I want to ask you about, which is this idea um, that de Blasio is both at once not necessarily someone who wants to get into all the nitty gritty, but is also somewhat of a micromanager and doesn't really want his commissioners and appointees to move that quickly without him. So you get this strange, you know, contradictory mix almost of you know someone who doesn't really want to get into the minutia but is also a micromanager in a sense do you have any um you know sort of sense of whether we'll see any type of shift in his management style or as david's indicating sort of a much more sort of nose to the the grindstone approach you know i doubt he's going to change his style i don't think that he I don't I would imagine he doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. I think that he what I think it is is that he's it's sort of government by crisis and I think a lot of governments are like that, but I think his in particular. So I think when something happens, a crisis, a um, you know, a catastrophe, whatever, when something happens that can't be ignored, I think he does get involved and and you know, I've heard stories, I'm sure you've heard them when they prepare for town halls, you know, really grills the commissioners on everything. Yes. Um, but when the crisis is resolved, even if it's temporary, I think he's moved on. And I don't think the commissioners have the autonomy or the proxy to make big decisions or maybe, to be fair, to make, you know, medium-sized decisions, because big decisions, you would assume the mayor would be involved. I think there are a lot of other kind of small to medium-sized decisions that they can't really execute without him because he's concerned about, you know, politics and appearances and, and whatever else he's concerned about. And he's entitled to that, except that, you know, it does slow things down. So if something is no longer the crisis of the moment, it languishes. Um, I, I don't know why that would be any different now than it has been, other than, unless he really feels a sense of urgency as the clock is ticking and, you know, politicians get very concerned about their legacies, that might kind of motivate him to to um, push people to do things faster, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, the, the legacy word is interesting because, and David, you uh, you served under Mayor Koch, and obviously you've seen every mayor uh, since and, and how they've handled the end of their time in office, some of them uh, seeing it coming earlier than others did. Is it a good thing for mayors to be thinking about their legacy and, and you know how does that shape how they approach those last months in office and what they concentrate on you know, and if, I, I, if you had to sell de blasio on niger as his legacy how would you how would you make that pitch because he might decide like that's the last thing he wants to touch to try to shape his legacy because it's it's just so difficult well in in some ways it is so difficult but it's something that he does have a lot of levers uh, to use on obviously he appoints the chairman uh he's under some federal supervision but i think this is one more than the mta for instance which is clearly the governor's purview. I mean, uh, clearly we, uh, Department of Transportation, others interact with the MTA. But NYCHA basically is one area that he's uh, suffered a lot of criticism for. He's uh, not built a, a great uh, uh, relationship with the tenants of NYCHA. That I think would be something to look back on if he could turn it around. Um, and I think his personal involvement in it might do just that. 
uh, if he made it clear to the staff and the senior people that he was going to be watching everything they did. Again, his his years at, at HUD as the regional supervisor for HUD under Cuomo gives him a good understanding of how the operation works, and also the possibility of doing things that you know the governor has experimented with, of bringing in additional talent to see how we could speed up repairs, uh, come up with new systems. Uh, I think there could be a lot of buzz of excitement around uh, figuring out the capital needs and streamlining the processes at NYCHA. Sally, so, can again, you, it's, Go ahead, yeah, David. Go ahead. Yeah, go, no, go ahead. No, I think, uh, you know, again, this is my dream, not necessarily <laughs> yeah. the mayor's dream. But I think, again, if he's going to you know, build his legacy on income inequality and the rest, I think certain of the initiatives, which I've been actively involved in, equity in schools, I think has been somewhat derailed. It will take years, perhaps, to recover some of this momentum on that. Um, uh, obviously, he has some serious problems with the NYPD. But NYCHA, I think, would be seen by everyone in the public as a, a suitable uh, thing to focus on for the next two years. Sally, on the uh, somewhat connected to NYCHA is affordable housing, is homelessness. When you sort of take those three topics together, you know, we've obviously talked a bit about NYCHA here, but then going into the other two, um, what are you watching for here? Um, you know, I'm since he brought Vicki Bean back to the administration as a deputy mayor now, they, they sort of previewed that there'll be another revamp of the mayor's big affordable housing plan. What are you what are you watching for on those sort of interconnected topics? On affordable housing, I sort of suspect what they'll do is um, deal with what's called um, basically racial disparities in housing. It was something that all municipalities were kind of coming up with a plan for under the Obama administration. You know, it's known as fair housing. And the Trump administration either canceled or or uh, postponed the requirement, you know, that everybody do this assessment. Um, so the city has taken, you know, has kind of taken it up, I guess, somewhat voluntarily and is continuing with it. And I think that I would imagine they'll come out with something on that. I don't know if it's going to be a report saying here's the state of things, which is, you know, spoiler alert, New York is very segregated and um, racially segregated housing is very segregated. So they might just come up with an assessment. I would imagine they'll also come up with some solutions for that, which would be um, probably building low-income housing in wealthier, whiter neighborhoods, you know, or just mixed-income housing um, all the way around. And I think that that would sort of coincide with any changes they make to the overall affordable housing plan. Um, homelessness is hard because it really it it's a public safety issue. It's a transportation issue. If you know you ride the subway, there are obviously a number of homeless people on the subway. It's a um, it's a mental health issue. And there are so many different agencies and deputy mayors and um, even non-city entities that would have to play a role in that. And it's a very visible problem. You know, people don't see the inside of NYCHA unless they live there. But everybody sees homelessness because it's, you know, street homelessness is prevalent and it's, you know, obviously on the street. So I think that's a, that's a tougher nut for him to crack. And I think... I suspect it'll be an issue, as I said earlier, in the next mayor's race, because I think 
as it becomes a bigger problem or just, you know, continues to be a problem, I should say, I think people are going to demand solutions of the next mayoral candidates. And just to um, stick with you for a sec, Sally, the the issue of these sort of legacy questions, you know, I remember speaking to a sort of somewhat prominent politico recently who basically just said, yeah, pre-K. I mean, pre-K is his legacy and that's basically going to be it. Um, how do you see it? I mean, at this point, um, obviously he has two years to make, you know, significantly more of his legacy. And I don't know that I'd put it as just pre-K at this point. He's obviously going to be the mayor who, you know, announced and put into motion the closure of Rikers Island. And there's other things we could add to that. Um, But at this point, how do you sort of see, you know, how that picture is shaping up? Well, I guess the question could also be, is a legacy necessarily a good thing? I mean, he might, people are remembered for things that are good and bad, right? I think pre-K is his I think he views it, and I think most people view it as his biggest accomplishment. He's done a lot on housing. They've invested a ton of money, <clears throat> excuse me, and a ton of um, city cap, you know, political capital and actual capital in housing. Whether that is a positive legacy or not is um, really remains to be seen. Housing's very controversial, and you know, um, I, I don't know. I think his legacy will be development. You know, he's very pro-development. But whether that's something that people will remember fondly or not, it's kind of, uh, it's a mixed bag. That's interesting. And that'll relate, too, to which, you know, neighborhood rezonings move through here, which will have a big impact on, you know, how the city looks moving forward. And one thing quickly I'll add to that, too, is, you know, I think that when the sort of history is written here, he's not going to be able to escape the fact that he's been mired in multiple campaign finance scandals oh, and problems, which will mm-hmm. will have to be part of that discussion. But David, I guess I'd ask the same question of you. I mean, obviously the issue Sally just talked about on development, but you know, we've had two interesting reports in recent weeks, the Manhattan Institute finding that the Gini coefficient measure of inequality hasn't changed much over his mayoralty, but we recently saw that, you know, the federal measure of the poverty rate is is apparently at a record low. This is an artificial hypothetical question, but I'll ask it anyway, which is if, if today were the last day of the de Blasio administration, knowing what he promised on inequality and what people expected, people like you expected from him, how would you address the legacy if it were today? Did he move the needle? Did he fall short? How would you size him up? In certain things, he did move the needle. Obviously, pre-K was enormous. Uh, His focus on, you know, uh, help with paid sick leave and and other efforts have been useful. Um, I I think, you know, the, the view is still strongest. He's, he's got real support in the communities I know still. Um, and in the black community, he's considered still a positive, and that the poll numbers continue to show that. I, I think, however, it is mixed. I mean, even the affordable housing, I had uh, difficulties and clashes with Alicia Glenn on the affordability issue of what they were building. Uh, that, in fact, the uh, uh, affordability, what they described as affordable units, was not focused on the very poor. It was climbing up the income level to 75000 and above, which is, is important. I, those people are not rich in the city of New York. But really, the homelessness crisis, the family homelessness, uh, you know, the 60000 um, is as more so than, you know, people who have mental illness, this is, this is affordability. 
And I don't know if they've made a substantial impact on the affordability of the people who are really desperate uh, at those poverty uh, wages and incomes that won't sustain the kind of affordable units they produced. So, you know, I think uh, that's going to be a, a mixed message. I mean, clearly the city is, remains vibrant. We have ferries, you know, going all over the place. Buildings are getting higher and higher. Uh, but in effect, that that growth has, has started to make it much more difficult for working people to really find a place to live and support their families. Sally, I want to ask you uh, something you might know about uh, kind of up close and personal, which is that when we think about the, the levers of power the mayor has as he approaches the end of his term, obviously the state uh, the governor and legislature have, have always been potentially problematic for all mayors and, and have been for him. City council might become more difficult as 2021 approaches. Uh, but when it, So him projecting power through the bully pulpit of his office, through his ability to command attention to issues, it seems to me will become more and more important. And so that raises the question of his relationship with the press, you and your colleagues in City Hall and the wider press. Does he need to make that better and, and is that possible uh, in the time he has left? He should. I mean, you know, he should make it better. Um, there's no upside to having such a bad relationship to the press. He can, I think he believes, and I think there's some truth to this, you know, he can speak directly to voters. Um, but there's no reason to have, you know, there's no benefit to him to have it be as negative as it is. That's not to say it's, you know, entirely his fault or anyone's fault. It's just become over the course of time, like all complicated and bad relationships, it's just sort of festered and now it's just not good and hasn't been for a long time. And yeah, I think there are ways to improve that. You know, there's, the press is, you know, in New York City is, I think, rightly very tough on elected officials, and that's not unique to Bill de Blasio. But sure, if he announced more, if he, when you put more of your own news out there, more of your own news gets out there. <laughs> Amen. Uh, thank you very much for the thoughts, David Jones and Sally Goldenberg. We really appreciate you joining us. We will obviously be looking to each of you more as uh, things develop here for the mayor's final two years and three months. David Jones, thanks very much for joining us. Welcome. And Sally Goldenberg, thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Mr. Murphy, thoughts Mr. on uh, on what we've heard, what we've discussed today, or things that haven't been raised today? Uh, a very interesting discussion, I think. Um, I actually must say that the um, it seemed to me that our guests all generally had the, the theme that there's not that much room for the mayor to operate in. Um, that, you know, because of the clock, because of other things happening, because of where he is in his administration, you know, there may be one one big idea out there, and maybe that's NYCHA. Um, but to some degree, it's about, you know, playing out the string of the issues he's already put on the table, fulfilling promises, building things out. And to some degree, NYCHA could be even thrown under that under that umbrella. This is an area where, as I think David mentioned, he's been, he's been beat up, um, rightfully so, even though he's invested a ton of money, he just was not in in scale with the problems he encountered. It would be kind of an interesting historical irony if he ended up being like the mayor who saved NYCHA, given that that's been a constant source of of real earned criticism for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, was, I mean, making a list sort of coming into this conversation, we barely touched on, you know, a quarter, I would say, of the sort of topics that I jotted down. And of course, you know, with, with limited time, that's all we're going to get to. But, you know, 
he's got, um, as Errol talked about, and I think Sally mentioned, you know, he's got this big decision around school desegregation, and and that really ties into more than just desegregating schools. I mean, it's really just about a vision for the school system and what he's going to do, and it's about turning around struggling schools, yes, racial and ethnic integration, but also as at least the recommendations that have been put before him by his task force, which we've discussed on the show, um, you know, he has big decisions about how that would sort of change virtually every school in the city um, and whether he wants to take that on or to what degree he will take that on. I think he'll do something. He's going to have this property tax commission coming back with its report as well. And he's promising to go to Albany where some of the changes have to be made to the property tax system and fight for change, whatever that change that he promotes winds up being. That's a huge lift. So those are just two really big issues, not to mention NYCHA and housing and homelessness. And, <laughs> and all that stuff. And, and Rikers is something that I think we often kind of build into the background, but that is a huge thing. I mean, from the from the judgment point of history in 10 or 20 years, he will be the mayor who apparently will have successfully moved the city toward closing Rikers. That's a, that is a big political lift. There is resistance to it, um, to the implications that it has for the neighborhoods that will receive the expanded or new jails. Um, you know, that's, that's a big lift too. So even some of the things that we sort of see on his sort of day-to-day to-do list – from a, a different vantage point, will maybe seem even more substantial than we're than we're giving them credit for. Right, and he has to show progress on some of the things he's announced related to speeding the buses back up. You know, he's put out a couple different plans on that, and they're moving ahead on some of it. But he's got to make some progress on that. You know, his one of the biggest things that he touted on the presidential campaign trail is his the the program spearheaded by his wife Shirley McRae for mental health services the Thrive NYC program which has had a really tough time showing its value and proving its effectiveness and they've made some tweaks and he's going to have to both for political reasons and real policy reasons want to revive the image of Thrive NYC so I think that'll be fascinating to watch even though you know as a share of the city budget it's actually a very small allocation that the program gets it's still a major legacy issue and a major question mark around his management and his priorities so you know that's just another example and as you got at he's got to navigate relationships with Governor Cuomo and the state legislature in a really smart way this coming year. I mean, mm-hmm. this is 20, yeah, yeah, this is the big one to get some stuff passed in Albany that will make an impact. And, you know, I think on the city council, I think it's going to probably work really well for the mayor to have a bunch of council members who want to burnish their legacies before running for their next office. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, one thing for folks to look at in terms of the historical record is Mayor Giuliani ran for Senate. The campaign collapsed in an amazingly dramatic set of weeks where he was walking down the street with the woman who was not his wife and he was ill and his uh, uh, approval rating was was, you know, hurt, harmed severely by that. Before 9-11, even Giuliani had regained his popularity, according to polls, and very quietly kind of rebuilt his mayoralty. Maybe there's a lesson there, ironically, for Mayor de Blasio. Not in how you serve as the president's attorney 20 years later, <laughs> but in how you handle the last years of a mayoralty that's been made a lame duck kind of early. And I said it early in the show, and Sally said it towards the end there. He's got a lot of control over what that image with New Yorkers look looks like by virtue of just getting into the nitty gritty, being around the city. As David Jones said in our conversation, he could be visiting, he could be at a NYCHA complex a week. Mm -hmm. You know, he could choose one per week that he's going to visit and do that type of thing with other issues as well. Totally. Well, we'll be covering whatever he does or doesn't do over the coming weeks, months, and years, hopefully here on Max and Murphy WBAI. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for the evening news. Until next Wednesday at 5 p.m., have a great week in the greatest city in the world.